You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and once again you find me live at Montreal Just for Laughs Festival, uh, Juste pour Rire, in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Uh, And having a wonderful time at the festival, uh, I'm bringing you today an episode with Moshe Kasher, who some of you will recognise from now. What did I see him in the other day? Moshe had a tiny part as uh, a, a hipster... Uh, coffee shop owner. What was, what was it called? Dark Milk, I think, or Chocolate Milk uh, on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. But uh, he'll be known to many of you as half of the Champs podcasters. It's a brilliant podcast called The Champs in which he and Neil Brennan uh, speak to a different black guest every week. <laughs> it's really worth checking out. They've had some fabulous guests in a very, very funny style. Uh, Mosha, of course. Mosha, stop calling him Mosha. He's called Mosha. It's so embarrassing. I did this in the interview as well. It's pathetic. Um, I explain why in the interview, but it is not a satisfactory uh, explanation. Uh, Moshe, uh, as well as being a, a podcaster and a TV actor, he's also a writer. We'll talk about his writing on Zoolander 2. He's doing some punch-up on that. And he's also an absolutely breathtakingly funny comedian in his own right. He has a special out on Netflix. You can buy a couple of his albums on iTunes as well. Um, and I saw him live, uh, as, we'll, as we'll discuss, and his, his show just took my breath away. It was absolutely brilliant. Just incredibly high-speed, very, very intelligent comedy very passionate and really about things he, he genuinely gives a shit about. Really inspiring to watch. Uh, so this is uh, uh, is episode number two from Montreal and episode 130-odd in real life. Uh, this is the brilliant Moshe Kasher. Thank you, Moshe. For, I keep wanting to call you Moshe. It's Moshe. Moshe. That is so awful. I've been practising it all week. And then you fucked it up. I fucked it, literally fucked it, but I won't include this bit. Why not? I will, I will. This is Or don't, because then it'll belie how popular I truly am. Oh, you're right. Like, if we knew... Right. If, you, if we knew there was even one man that couldn't appropriately pronounce my I name. I feel terrible. It's because my godson collects these little toys called Moshi Monsters. Uh-huh. And, so I, I don't and I'm know a Jew, if... so you think of me as a monster. I think he was a toy. <laughs> a toy monster. <laughs> and a little boy. A little boy so toy. I saw yours was the first show I saw here at Just for Laughs. How's that show going? Oh, the show's good. You know, it's uh, uh, this is going to sound pretentious, but <laughs> just kidding. You know, Stuart gave me a little pep talk earlier. He told me that when it gets pretentious, that's when it gets real good. Um, no, I was here two years ago. Did we meet we, two years ago? No, this is my first one. Okay, so I did 14 shows in a row. Now, I know that by English standards, or, what's the right thing to say? British? 
English? Yeah, British is fine. Isn't one seem like you're a UKIP type of guy? And uh, one seems like you're more of a... We prefer to say Britain rather than England, because if you focus on England, then it seems like you're a UKIP type of guy. Well, let me tell you what. Let me tell you what. I'm, I'm UKIP all the way. Okay. Okay, I don't even know the cultural landscape so, in any way, but so I feel... So refreshing for someone to just come right out and say it. <laughs> I just feel like... To me, UKIP doesn't go far enough. <laughs> um, so, yeah, right. So you guys do Edinburgh and you do these like 30-day slog, marathon yes. slog. It sounds fucking terrible. Always it sounded terrible. Uh, but I did 14 shows in a row here two years ago. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I said when they offered me to come back was, I don't want to do as many shows. I want to So these were 14-hour-long shows? 14-hour-long like shows. Like over 14 days or twice a day? Or? Over 14 days, yeah. Okay. And then there were TV tapings that they do, and then there were... That's the thing that they do here at this festival. For those of you that haven't been there yet, uh, they will bring you over to do your show and have some fun, do regular gigs, and then it, to supplement it, their... Whatever their deal is with the Canadian government and TV, they, they put all the comedians on television tapings to pay for the whole affair okay okay to pay for it right i I have no idea of how the economics of it works i got here and went i wonder if one once you know when it first started there was a gala because now you've got the patrick stewart gala the mike myers gala there's 20 galas in town right no it was it was originally it was a court jester the court jester gala Mm -hmm. and it was the king of um the king of quebec and his jester, and he would just come out, and he would, you know, they would torture Jews or whatever. Perfect. And then that was it. That was what was a gala back then. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so now I'm here, and I'm doing, uh, I'm doing the tapings, and you're taping, doing the warm ups, and, and I'm doing the warm up for the tapings. I'm doing these five hour shows, but I don't have a, a full cohesive hour that I want to be doing. In fact, you said, I think, at the show I saw on Tuesday that you hadn't done any stand-up for about three months. Well, that's also true. That's another problem, secondary problem, Okay, which is I've been in, I for the last three months, I was in Rome uh, doing Punch-Up. Uh, I was the onset writer for the Zoolander sequel, right? Uh, which was so, tons of fun and awesome and great, And but definitely I went to, um, the only stand-up I did the whole time I was there is I took a, I had a long weekend. I went to Norway. Okay. And I did a gig and a random gig. I wasn't going there for a this, gig. This is such a fabulous, this is a version of how Americans view Europe. It's the same for Australians as well. It's like, I'm in Italy, I may as well go to Norway. For yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> For I'm you here. it makes no sense. Yeah. For me, I'm like, when's the next time I'm going to be close to Norway? Yeah, of course. With an excuse to go. So I went to Norway because my friend was doing a tour of Northern Europe. Okay. And that's what that is, right? Yes. Yeah, yep. And a UKIP. And um, so I went to Norway. Send the Vikings back. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's right. But well, that's really a problem. They're barbarians, right? They're taking our jobs and pillaging our villages. Long boats. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I did a set in Ber- in Bergen and in Oslo, but they were five minute sets. So I haven't done an hour show in three okay. more than three months. How did you How did you feel just before coming out on stage at that at that hour? Well, it's you know, as you I'm sure you know, it's like the moments where you feel genuinely nervous are rarer and rarer the longer you do stand up so the part of you that cherishes it you know and i did feel nervous i felt like completely distracted and not cohesive i was looking at these jokes trying to piece them together because the main bulk of the of the show that i wanted my next hour special is one really long story okay and uh and i didn't want to do that because i did that the last time i was here uh, and so These, like, it's the little things like that that I think the audiences never get the mm, sense of oh I can't do that bit that's good because someone might have seen that from the last thing I've done that I've burned that on TV and then they go the festival organizers like it's great right as before we go on 
there's some press in the audience. I'm like, I don't. That's the last information that I wanted. But anyway, I felt nervous. And then, as you know, the moment you get out on stage, a lot of times that just sort of wipes away. You go into this sort of uh, intellectual muscle memory and you just get out there and have fun. <laughs> you did, man. You did loads of crowd work. I remember thinking, cause, because it's my, the first show I've ever seen in Canada. Yeah. I was in there for like, I think the slot is like an hour long. And the first thing that happened is you had a support act, which to me is completely bizarre that in an hour long show, someone would have a support. Totally standard here. So uh, I come in the, the guy's name, O'Shea, someone. Which night did you come? This is the Tuesday night. Oh, that's right. Uh, The Tuesday. He was a random guy. I don't like going on cold. I think that might be just a cultural difference. Yes. Because I just... No, no. I mean, who does want to go on cold? Edinburgh, we're all used to, you know, in the UK, we're used to going on cold. God, it would be amazing if we could all just five swap minutes? into five minutes of each other's shows. Why not? Why aren't we doing that? Why aren't you? Why aren't you doing? Yeah, it? right. Because no, I think, that's the question. I think the stakes feel so high that I think people wouldn't do it out of fear that they would be seen as weak. It's like a, a, a zero. What's it called? A, a, a lose lose game or something. Right. If, if all the stags had no antlers, fewer of them would die. Oh, that's a classic you... quote from the Vikings that need to get <laughs> out of England, not Britain. The, I don't believe in Britain, right, but I believe ones. in England. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Moshe is standing up at this. Stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm standing up. I have a, I have an Indian flag that I'm punching right now. The Indians have a flag, right? Anyway, listen. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting. It's all cultural mores that, that mean absolutely. nothing. You know? Absolutely. Like I, we've often said uh, in Edinburgh that it should be, or I've certainly often believed that it. if all of the solo specials, the special, and I love the fact that people over here call them specials, we call them Edinburgh shows, and you'll hear comics in London saying to a London audience, this is my Edinburgh show, and I always think, they don't even know what that means. What are you talking about? It's a special. It's well, an hour. Wait, a spe- no, because a special to me okay. implies that you're taping it for television. Yes, it's going on TV or yes. a DVD or whatever. Yes. Although even recently, I someone I believe to be Ronnie Cheng has tweaked the language of that. I don't know if I'm misquoting him, but someone has said, oh, from now on, every show I do, I'm referring to it as my next hour-long comedy special. Probably because it's a piece of branding that makes you think it's going on TV, although I'm sure in most Oh, that's it funny. Is. You know, in the States, people, I've noticed a new thing. People love to go, they love to tweet like... Running my new hour at the blah blah blah. And it's funny. Yeah. I find it so fucking obnoxious. That's an like, incredibly oh, deft humble oh, right? oh, did you? Oh, you wrote a new hour, did you? Wow. Is it, it's a new hour. And it, and it needs, I gotta run it. I gotta run it because it will eventually have some sort of incredibly important entertainment industry related functionality. Yeah, I, there's so many weird linguistic little games that we all play. But um, yeah, and we don't write as much as you guys. That is just is that right? true. Oh yeah, we don't write an hour a year. It, I think it's it's considered if you want to be in the game in Britain, you've got to be turning over an hour a year. You I, can have an hour off every five years. Yeah, I'm, I, I I mean I guess Louis C.K. and Bill Burr do an hour mm-hmm. special a year, maybe Hannibal, but most people I think don't don't do that. Now I'll tell you the stereotype about English comedians. I British, would love to Brit- hear it. I don't. I honestly don't know what. I'm an British, ignorant British is fool. The correct. We'll go for British. Okay. It's fine. They'll, they'll, white, they may well be white Scottish comedians. and Welsh white comedians. Listen to this. Oh God forbid! <laughs> um, is that? And I don't actually know that this is true. So please, to your listeners, don't no, no, no. I would be fascinated. This to hear is your literally view what people say. The they say that the. the I, mean, I think to begin with, we're relieved that people say anything at all. <laughs> <laughs> they say you're very polite, and you've mastered the English language, and we've got a lot to learn from you. Um, pinkies up while drinking tea. Uh, they say that you guys turn over an hour a year, mm-hmm. and that we don't. And maybe this is just our defensiveness that the hours are not. I feel bad even saying this. Please I, say it. Please say it. The hours are not as tight. Sure. They aren't as uh, 
punchy and as like laugh a second. Yes, I, I think that's absolutely true. And I think the um, I think the sense is most comics, most UK comics who are turning over an hour a year. There's this other thing about theme as well. We, a lot right. of our hours are My themed. father at the yeah, end. Yeah, absolutely. My daddy died. Yeah. And I've, I'm fascinated by why it's happened, why it's evolved like that. And I suspect it's because at the Edinburgh Festival, if there's 3,000 shows in town, right. everyone's desperate to have a hook to hang their show Somebody's off. Somebody's you know, daddy got to die. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it may only be 10 years until we're killing each other's dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and killing, that's killing when I Innocent's killed father. Eddie Izzard's dad. <laughs> anyway, dressed to kill? Indeed I am. Um, I felt like that was really good. I'm looking at the crowd. You are looking at the crowd. I'm I should explain at, I, for the audience. That, uh, <laughs> I literally... We're, we're, we're using the space that uh, in tomorrow I'm going to conduct another one of these interviews in a live interview. And uh, There's an empty room. There's an empty room, but we're sitting on some very palatial chairs, and I'm sure that On a stage. Me. Yeah. <laughs> and literally when I did my amazing dress to kill bit, I just looked at these... 200 empty chairs (laughs) for a little bit of support from the audience. I believe there's a sound technician in the room, but he's sitting down behind a sound desk and wearing headphones. Didn't care for the bit. Not not a fan. Um, But yeah, right. So that's right. It's become, it's gone the way of the, by the way, I don't mind that. I like a little pathos. And I would say, I would say part of the, I would say maybe a critique I would give of American comedy is that it's pretty, it can be pretty devoid of pathos. It can be often, and I don't think it needs to have pathos. I, I really don't. And I know that I, I, I actually find it obnoxious when people laud comedians like Louis C.K. and uh, uh, like, you know, who, who's another example? The people that are confessional mm. as uh, that's the, the actual goal. That's the yes. The, that's like the, the, as if as if everyone else as well. He did a thousand correct. jokes and they were all hilarious, but yeah, he right. really fell short of you must. My imagined. Oh, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't. It didn't. It wasn't uh, exposing itself uh, uh, emotionally enough. Well, so, you know, Seinfeld isn't going to do that. That's mm. not what that comedy performer has for you. Zach Alphanakis doesn't have that available for you. It's not necessary. For every comedian, by the way, I love a good super confessional like pop, and that's when Papa died. Show, but I also love a stupid, meaningless kind of just series of amazing jokes. I mean, Stephen Wright never said anything. He's never that's said true. anything. No, no, I know literally nothing about his life. You know nothing about. But it. also, there are probably comics out there who say a lot about whom I literally know nothing about their lives. You mean it's all lies? Well, I don't know. I'm not necessarily saying it's lies, but I think it's possible to be. Uh, to have pathos without genuinely confessing a thing. Well, you know, he, because now there's a series of tricks, aren't there? Just like any comic, any host can go, I can get a laugh like this, I can do this with rhythm. I'm sure there are emotional rhythms that can be taken advantage of. Well, yeah, absolutely. And also we're all familiar. And I would say the thing, probably the thing that makes Americans roll their eyes at the at the Edinburgh-esque emotional gut punch at the end that gets you the... I don't know, what is it, the Perrier? The uh, fa- used to the, the Fanta, the Fanta, Fanta. You guys get the, the tap water <laughs> surprise. Is that we are so used to one-man shows. There's being this one, well, that's what we would think of it as, a one-man show. Yeah. Come out, you know, in a spot. You're wearing a turtleneck. You go, and it was 1972, <laughs> the first time daddy touched me where he didn't belong. You know, kush, 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 lighting change, whatever. <laughs> so I think that's where our brains go. It's like, no, we're comedians. We're not... No one's here to, but then somebody like you know Robert Schimmel. Yeah, you remember? Did you ever see Damn Robert man. Schimmel? He's a, he he passed away, but he had this like powerful sh- story about cancer, his cancer that eventually. I actually, I don't think it did kill him. I think he died in 
I think, oddly, this guy died in a car accident or something. Anyway, the point of all of this is... Fabulous ironic twist at the end of the show. Indeed. But uh, is that I think we're scared of emotional realism in the States, I think, a little bit. I I think that's true. So, like, somebody like Louis is a good example who does this thing where there's... There's emotional uh, confession, but it never, you're never going to see Louis like, oh, like, and my daughter, you know, sure. that doesn't, that's not going to happen. Yes. You know? Yeah. To what extent do you think, um, or certainly in, in your own work, when you're talking about the reality of your own life, how much are you, how much of that is confessional? How much of it is honest? I mean, I, I feel like it's honest. I feel like we're getting the real you. I would say, I mean, obviously this is almost a, a cliche about stand-up, but I would say my persona on stage is me times probably three, you know, and turned up. Every story I tell, genuinely, generally the stories that I tell on stage are based on reality, which is, are on things that really happen to me, which is really bad because I have to wait for things to happen to me in order to generate material. Maybe more things happen to comedians in England when they're able to... I um, I certainly know there are comedians who go out there actively trying to make things happen. That's the best, right? <laughs> when you're just trying to construct an extreme living experience. That would be fine if the show, if at the beginning of the show they said, so I didn't have any material. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You're like, this feels totally contrived. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, most of the stuff that I talk about on stage is stuff that happened to me. Uh, and it's, it's sort of, it's stories that, yeah, storytelling kind of a thing. Yeah, I'd say that's what I do. My, my, my I, the most fun I have on stage is when I'm not doing material at all. You Well, let's come back to this idea. I think the reason I mentioned the hosting at the top of the show was I'm unused to that incredibly cold start. Yeah. And to what seems to me a very cold start of, please welcome the Support Act. And the Support Act doesn't say good evening. And I'm not saying this of your particular Support uh-huh. Act. All of the ones I've seen, they come out and they go, hi there, launch into their stuff. Now, I, I've heard that's because you in, when you're growing up in the clubs in, uh, in the States you can't be doing crowd work as an opening act because the headliner wants to do crowd work. And if you've stepped on their crowd work, you don't get booked again. That's 100% the truth. Sure. And I, I, I would say, is the opposite true in England? Yeah, absolutely. Right. The opposite absolutely. is true in England. Also, though, let me ask you this. People, people, audiences in England will respect the headliner less for doing the crowd work that's already been done. Right. But what about a comedian who that's sort of part of what they do? That's if part someone of their is show. particularly a an improviser, like so, I would think someone like Jason Byrne is an Irish uh-huh. comic. Yes, Jason, right, I've seen him. hugely involving and improvisational material. Right, he was in a there. spy that awoken to his real, true reality. That was the guy, yeah, and he, and he then could then kill people. He drove he a mini, yeah, yeah, and he was like, yeah. "Whoa, how'd I do that?" That's or whatever. And he's like, <laughs> he got on stage one day, and he was like, "Oh," and there was some weird thing. I was like, "Ask yeah. this guy what he does and for a the, living." And in the third film, it turned out that he actually was some asshole who, who decided to he wanted to kill people and do crowd work. He was yeah. very good at crowd work, that guy. So Jason Byrne. That guy. Um, he would, he could have a, an American-style host, uh, sort of opening act, who came out and did 10 of stuff because yeah. he wouldn't necessarily want things stepped on. But the, the reason I bring it up is you seem to me, unusually, in my limited experience of uh, American comics, unusually uh, gifted at crowd work. You did some amazing crowd work. with that. The, the, This was the night when the elderly couple was in. Oh, that was the, oh, a true gift. Man, you, but it was a gift, but you can you accepted that gift entirely and Well, I do have a theory it. about that, and this is going to sound pretentious. Yes. But I honestly believe people always come up to me, and yeah, I think I'm very good at crowd work. I think that, and I've always really resented the idea. I write a lot of material. I have dense material. I'm proud of my material. It's not that I don't have stuff that I've written, but I... I've always really resented the idea, and it, it, there's a shade of it in America too, which is you know that crowd work is sort of a crutch, 
and and that it's not somehow it's inferior in some way to writing stuff. It's 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 different. I, I resent all that stuff when people go when people say like, oh, Caratop, that's not a comedian, a prop guy. Why? Why is that not a comedian? It's not your kind of comedian. But who gives a fuck? I mean, what what we're all going towards a goal, which is to make people laugh and have a good time. But anyway, okay, so crowd work. Is something that I take. I take. I, I actually take kind of personally because I think there are people that are masters of it, you know. And yes, when you see a guy at a pub who comes out and he goes, "Hey, we've got a we've got a hen party here. Do we? Block, block, block. You guys are gonna go eat some cocks or whatever." Yeah, okay, fine. I get it that that's like it feels rote and like that guy would have said that any night of the week. But then you see somebody like you know Todd Barry or the late Patrice O'Neill or who can change the molecular sort of makeup of the room by getting and sitting in sitting in that sort of thick energy of who's in the room because i really feel like the audience is is the third it's like the third element you know what i mean it's like you have the comedian the performer you have the the you have the stage and then you have the audience like the audience is they're there they're they're a part of the thing and so I don't know why I want to ignore them. Some comedians do, and I don't think that's better or worse. Uh, just like I don't think dirty is better or worse. I think it's all just the sort of tool set that you pick up. Anyway, here's a real pretentious part. Though the couple, the old couple in my show, it was a great, they were great. They were amazing. They were, they'd been married 52 years and he met her in an elevator and, you know, and somehow convinced her to take a ride to work with him by the end of the elevator ride. And she said, uh, you know, and there was a panty. Yeah. In his front seat, a pant, one like panty, singular, yeah. singular panty. And there's some great stuff. And I, I remember one thing I said that I was very proud of was uh, I feel like I'm at the beginning of When Harry Met Sally. Yeah, right yeah. Now, right? <laughs> that was fantastic. I felt very proud of that. And the whole time, and it's actually a fun mental game because the whole time, I can tell you this since we're really deconstructing it, the whole time I was doing that, and I'm, I'm really fascinated with the brain of the comedian because mm-hmm. I was in the middle of interacting with them and it was it was pretty um, pretty special part of that show but i was also trying to think of a line from when harry met sally the whole time yes so in in some other area of my brain and i wasn't able to do it yeah i was trying to think of a specific line that one of the old couples said to each other so that i could i could button i could button that interaction by saying you know uh whatever it was the whole i what i was trying to think was there was a couple in when harry met sally that they lived next door to each other the whole time but i don't i couldn't that was the line that they the yeah. whole couple used the whole time but okay. i couldn't so i'm saying all of that stuff is churning in my brain at once i'm interacting what, with the crowd whilst you're absolutely not not just carrying on a conversation but continuing to be funny and inventive on one kind of a to b level right there's also all the cd so, yeah, a stuff. thing uh, in my brain going i know that there is a way a wonderful way to end this conversation yes. and it's if i can pull this reference and i couldn't fucking do it that <laughs> night but nobody notices that and um so people will come up to you after the show or and they'll say that was whoa that you know did you plant them i get that question a lot did you plant those people and my here's we're finally getting the real pretentious part i really believe that there is in every crowd a story and a gift that every single crowd. And if I don't, there's always an old couple that's been married for 52 years with a panty on the front seat always. And if I don't find them, it's because I failed to find them. It's not because they weren't there. You know what I mean? Got it. It's, I just really, really believe that every crowd has a that story. A be- that's a very generous. Well, not, it, it, it's not even generous. It's just very human. It's like, that's very un self-involved. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like as a comedian, we're so wrapped up in what we're doing normally 
that's really refreshing to kind of go, no, actually, there's, there's all these humans in the room. Well, that tr- – exactly. But there's also – I mean, that's why you would look askance at crowd work is because most crowd work has nothing to do with that. Most crowd yes. work has to do with like, let me, you know, pepper through the birthdays so we yep. can get on with the show. There's and a it, checked shirt, broke back mountain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. Right, exactly. And it can be just as lazy as material. Sure. I mean, material can be extremely lazy, you know, uh, and – it's just this paradigm I think that we have and it sounds like you have too that it's somehow this other inferior form and I actually don't think so at all. So I I think to me when I'm – I always like – I call it like – there's like – I have theories of crowd work. Like there's like different levels of it, right? There's there's riffing (laughs) – so stupid. I I love it. No, this is is genuinely exactly what I want. This is just my friends but there's, there's riffingtons. (laughs) <laughs> this is what, what, what we call it. <laughs> You're right, that does sound yeah, stupid. it's real bad. It. There's Riffingtons, which is where I'm riffing with the crowd. Then there's Rantingtons, yep. which is where I'm not with the crowd anymore, but I'm just like going off at what I call into space. You know, the Grateful yes. Dead used to go into space, they would call it, where okay. their set would kind of deconstruct and they would just start, you know, I never watched uh, yeah, I know the, something. Okay, right? right? So when I can get, and I can unlock from the show itself and just start, I don't know what I'm even talking about. You know, I'm out in the fucking ether, just like riffing and ranting on my own thought, you know, sort of stream of consciousness, thought upon thought. Uh, that's when I feel really alive as a performer. So this is Moshe. I'm perfectly capable of pronouncing his name correctly. I just learnt it wrong. And it's very, very difficult to smack those little blocks of incorrect learning out of your head once you're in there. So apologies to him, anyone that knows him, and anyone else called Moshe. And anyone else who, who is called Moshe but pronounces it Moshe. Uh, there might be at least one person in the seven billion there are in the world who does that, who is listening going, no, Stu, you were getting it right. As unlikely as that may seem. It's a possibility. Uh, more episodes to come with Pat Oswalt uh, and with Andy Kindler. Those are coming out Wednesday, uh, sorry, Thursday and Friday this week. Uh, I can't wait to bring you those episodes. I was so excited. Uh, I'll tell you more about them as and when they come. Um, but uh, what else? You can check out the Champs podcast that Moshe is a part of. Uh, that's gettable from iTunes and also from his website. Uh, and you can buy Moshe's albums as well. I listen to um, Everyone Else in the World is Going to Die, Asterisk, and Then You Are. Um, that's a lot of fun Uh, but have a look at his Netflix special as well it's very very funny so thank you to him for coming on the show thanks to you for listening remember you can rate this show on iTunes you can give us a five star rating at iTunes uh, and you can share it with a friend you can go to www.comedianscomedian.com and check out our spanking new website where you can uh, you can discuss this episode on Facebook uh, and you can tweet me at comcompod you can have a look at some of the merch coming up uh, and I'm generally if you haven't been to the website before check it out we've just rejuiced it all and I'm really proud of it I think it's looking great uh, if you've got any feedback on it I mean not TD HTML stuff, if you don't mind, at this moment, let, let me just have the new website up there for a month, feeling good about it before we go, okay, we've got to change that and that and that. But um, there's some really good bells and whistles on there. And I think the most important part is that now each episode has its own page. So if you particularly enjoy an episode and you'd like to share it with a friend, then you can you can put the link for that episode's page with the discussion underneath. Uh, and uh, And it's just an easier way to share the show. So have a look at that. Of course, there's a donate button up on there at comedianscomedian.com. You can click the donate button or go to the donate page, which will give you an option of either paying a a one-off sum on PayPal uh, or you can do a regular subscription via Patreon or you can can go direct to the Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash comcompod. Your donations make a huge difference. They're the only money I make from this show uh, and all of them go into, uh, every penny goes into making the show 
uh, wider in its scope and uh, giving me the opportunity to fly myself to LA later this year in September. I'm gate crashing the LA Podfest. Uh, and I can only do that because you and other people are paying for the show, supporting it. Uh, and if you're enjoying it, helping me make it more and more successful and help me to get my teeth into America and Northern America and all sorts of fun things like that. So if you're enjoying it and you want to hear from bigger, better guests every time, then uh, please support the show in whatever manner you'd like to. If you don't support it, that's absolutely fine. There's no obligation. It's there for you as well. Lots of students often send me two quid and say, sorry, I'm a student. That's really kind. And I appreciate that very warmly as well. But if you've got a proper job, if you're a pro comic or if you're uh, a professional person of any sort and you think it, the show is making a difference, to your life then feel free to drop me five ten or twenty pounds or that equivalent in dollars or i mean we don't get lira anymore drachma who knows maybe soon um but uh whatever currency you fancy you can you can chuck it all on paypal uh, and support the show as frequently as you like thank you very much for everyone that's done that so far i promise i'll get around to sending my personalized replies to everyone that donates uh, anyone that via PayPal gets a, a personalised reply from me. Patreon is a little more difficult for me to do, but I, I will try and make something proper that gives you a little treat as well if you're a, if you're a Patreon donator. Donor is the word for that. I'm extremely tired, as you can probably hear. Let's get back to the brilliant Moshe Kasher. Do you get to recreate... No, recreate is absolutely the wrong word. Do you get to perform like that when you're taping stuff for tv when you're doing a comedy special no or do you you have to do transcripts and sign it all off and no I, I not only do i not get to um i have a hard time sometimes accessing it okay especially in a seven minute set like if i'm doing my hour if i'm running my new hour-long television special for television networks that are hour-long that yeah. have purchased my hour-long you have content got to run availability that i have to run you really it. have to run one it. must run you know <laughs> no but uh in my own special I can get away with a little bit more of that, um, but I've only done one te- televised special, so that I really wanted to get my material out because it was my first one. Yes, right. So okay. in a seven-minute set, it's like the the risks are so great. Yeah, you know what if I go in and so something doesn't work? I'm halfway through my set. It's like, well, okay. So usually I will just do material. In does that frustrate you? Yes. Yeah, it's not fun to me. Unless, you know, I'm, it's, I'm killing. and Because here's the other thing about the American system, I think, is we're very worried about burning material. Do you guys worry about that? Uh, yes. There are fewer, I think, fewer opportunities for TV work in the UK. Uh-huh. Certainly, I have not done a great deal of TV work. The small amount I've done, yes, I was very worried about burning. Yeah, you're worried about burning material. So it's like, like tonight, I'll give you, tonight's a great example. And I'll tell you why we were still worried about the UK, because... Uh, you can't use the the new hour that you wrote this year. May well have twenty minutes in it that is either pathos or setups or looser story stuff with far fewer jokes. So right. actually, you've really only got forty of new stuff. So the burning thing is more of a yeah yeah totally. Issue. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, I'll give you a perfect example from tonight. I'm doing this TV set here in Canada. I saw you warm this up last night. In saw that, me warm uh, it up last night. I don't remember which room. By the way, I don't even. I didn't know what I was doing five minutes before I went on because I didn't fully grasp that i was doing a tv taping this time i was trying to wiggle out of it okay and didn't so last night i was like furiously scrambling like oh god what do i do what'll be acceptable on tv what can uh, i use what don't i want to burn exactly right what don't i want to burn and then there's this other weird element which is that the tv in canada i've done five i think five tv spots here i have never i mean and i'm not exaggerating never one tweet comment email zero 
from the TV spots here. And okay. I'm not alone. It's not that I'm not good. Uh, the, there is that, but it's not that. <laughs> uh, all my comedian friends, same thing. No response. I don't know what it is. It's very weird. But don't I don't notice a difference in the ticket sales in Canada. I don't notice a difference in the online. Nothing. So there's this weird thing where you go, oh, well, what can you, what do you do here? You can burn material. You could use old material that you've already recorded. None of it. Ma- it's like a none of it matters. So I could do my. So my question is like. Do I do what I'm most excited about telling right now? My newest yes. stuff, which is, you know, like that cat calling bit yep. from, that you saw. Like, I love that joke. I'm very into that joke right now. And do I do that? Well, I definitely want to put it on my special. But does it matter? It's like this weird sort of yes. negotiation. Like, maybe I can do it here and then also It'll put be it on absolutely special. fine. And then something will go viral and I'll go, no, not yes, that bit. Yes, 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 <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, the idea that the one bit that finally goes viral <laughs> from any Canadian TV appearance is the one I didn't want to burn. Yeah. So it's, it's like whatever. I don't know. Tonight, I still don't quite know what I'm doing tonight. So which, how often have you done Just for Laughs in the past? This is your which visit. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I came as a new face. Do you guys? I have only become aware of new faces today. Yes. So when you're a young comedian, uh, when I first started, there were two festivals. There were there was the Aspen Comedy Festival in uh, the HBO Aspen Comedy Festival in Aspen, Colorado, and there was the Just for Last Festival. And it is definitely the brass ring that everybody was focused on. Uh, you wanted to be a new face at Just for Laughs, or you wanted to go to Aspen Comedy Festival. Then Aspen uh, went kaput. And no longer exists, and then it was just the one. So the new faces. That's what you. That was truly the opening, the holy grail of opening yourself to a career. Okay. And uh, so and you, did that work? Was it the holy grail in that everyone felt it was, or did it have tangible results? Did people well, come away from it and go, "That's me made," it, or, it, or "That's me in the door"? Well, back in the day, this is the lore of of Montreal is that people would regularly walk out of. Uh, new faces after a five minute set would walk out with development deals from studios. I mean, gotcha. uh, that was like, you know, de rigueur. People would come in unrepresented, no agent, no manager, no nothing. They would be plucked out of obscurity. They would come here, wow everybody with their, you know, with their Riffingtons, Rantingtons, and material, <laughs> and they would be given a development deal. <clears throat> and then get an agent and a manager, and their careers would. So that, that's the lore. Now, I'll tell you what happened for me, and this is, a, is that I went out and I almost got Montreal a couple of different times before I came, and I didn't get it, and I was crushed and fucking pissed off, and, you know, why, and my peers had all gotten it already, you know, and uh, I, 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 of my group that started, I was definitely the last one of the people that did get plucked at all, I was yeah. the last one to get plucked, yeah. and um, so I was very frustrated and very upset, and then finally... I got new faces in 2009 or eight, something like that. And uh, we were all calling ourselves old faces. We, yeah, that was okay. our in joke inside yeah. we were, because we all felt uh, we're a little bit we're past this. We should be past this. But the one thing I noticed was uh, a few things. Uh, a, everybody there had a manager and an agent already. That, yeah. that landscape has changed because uh, just because of the the, the – the status of getting a new new faces was so high that agencies slowly started to like really oh, push this, their, might, this guy might be a new face we yeah, got a, you got a, we got a new in. face we just signed yeah. you know he's a brand new face he's got no opportunities the william morris endeavor agency is you know what i mean it's like okay. yeah, well maybe they have an opportunity so everybody's now they've got a new thing that they've sprung out the back the butthole of the new faces which is new faces unwrapped so it's really what new faces used to be new new faces basically now it's like okay new faces light 
and I'm sure they're all great too, but they just don't have managers and agents, okay. which is what it originally was. So this whole thing has become very complex in its sort of strivings and motivations. But everybody had a, a representative. Everybody already had an agent and a manager. And you get here and you realize these shows are – they are abject shit. I mean they are horrifying, but they are bad. From the point of view of the performer. Of the performer because – Like the skills are all great. The comics aren't shit. Comics are great. The comics are great. No, the comics are good. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Experience is horrible. Most of the comics are good. Uh, uh, and some of them are just people with powerful agents. But most of them are very good. And the room is filled with, who do you think it's filled with? Who is going to be attracted to the New Faces comedy show? Is it going to be comedy fans? Like, oh, I can't wait to go see a bevy of unknown talent I've never heard of. <laughs> or is it going to be two-thirds like stodgy network executives and you know casting people? I mean, it's the worst crowd you could imagine. Sure. So you get out. You don't have any fun because you're you you are convinced that the seven minutes. If I just nail this seven, I just nail this seven, and don't fuck around, don't have a good time, which is the enemy. I mean, the ultimate enemy of comedy, right? Is like I gotta get the gotta do the you know, mm-hmm. and so, and then it doesn't matter. None of it matters. It it might get you a little bit of peak people's interest. But really, in the end, what matters is how good are you in the long run? Who are your friends that are going to work with you and continue this thing? None of it matters, but you're, you, know, you think everything about it matters. But the other interesting thing is I didn't get it for a few years. And by the time I did do New Faces, I was so developed as a performer that I felt like, oh, I actually have a product. That, you yes. know, I actually have a, I have a voice and a, and, a, and a honed persona that I wouldn't have had. I might have been able to get laughs, but it wouldn't have intrigued anyone. And Let's talk about that. That is a really interesting way. That word intrigued is a really interesting way of kind of passing what do we mean by a, perform- a, a persona and a voice. Well, we call it, um, in this show that I was working on last year, uh, Comedy Central's Another Period, I was on, uh, and there was this thing w- that we would call the uh, who gives a shit test. Yeah. Right? So this person's good. But who, who gives, gives a, a shit? shit? That's, yeah. I think that might be a line from a Pat Oswalt routine. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He talks about it's the, seeing the, the open spot on heroin. He says there's a bunch of, you know, he's, he's talking, and he, he uses a similar sort of thing. It, it might these, be. These guys are good and they're going to get better. Yeah. These guys are good, but who gives a shit? Yeah, yeah. no, it very Absolutely well might right. be literally wisdom trickled down yeah. from Pat and special <laughs> yeah, into my brain. Sure. Yeah, it's such a good, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's exactly right. It's like people can be good. We all know people can figure out the mathematics of getting laughs. And there's nothing interesting about it. Can you figure out, can acts figure out the mathematics of getting people to give a shit? That's a fascinating, yes. If you're dressed up with enough artifice, uh, I think it is possible to convince people that what you're doing is intriguing when in fact, from my non-subjective, 100% correct, all of the time opinion, there's no, there's no there there. You know, it's all, it's all 
smoke and mirrors is all Wizard of Oz. You know what I mean? Def- you must know a performer like that. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it, it does no one any good to mention who they are no, or, no, even, no, or even talk about that because sure. it's, just, it's just poison that you're drinking. You're giving a, they say that. It's probably Patton Oswalt as well. Uh, <laughs> resentment is drinking poison, hoping the other person will die. Yes, absolutely. So, no, that was Henny Youngman that originally said that. Does anybody know who Henny Youngman is? No. I don't. I don't. I don't he is a... He's like Although old, I have heard that said to old so. Borschtvelt comedian who would okay. say, t- he said, take my wife, please. Yeah, okay. That was right, his line. It. And then he got would it. play a violin, literally play a violin. He was, take okay. my wife, please. Na, I, only na, 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 that, na. I only know that bit from like a Garfield take off. <laughs> That's right, right. But actually, Garfield might have been sophisticated in comparison. <laughs> no, I'm sure Henny was a great man. But, um, but, uh, what was I saying? Uh, so as not to resent it, we won't mention any names. Oh, but oh, oh, yeah, people right. can contrive, contrive intrigue. Intri- for sure. I God, think that, that sounds like a magic spell for comedy. Yeah. <laughs> and it is magic in a way. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah, but I think that also interesting is like, you know, we've all seen comedians who aren't getting laughs that you go, this is rarer. But you go, oh, no, that person, yeah, that person's got it. They've got a thing. They're not there yet. There's something... But no, no, no. They're they're gonna once they put the pieces together, you know, they'll be there. The the intrigue the intrigue part is there. The persona part is there. I think I did that actually. I think that I had more persona and bravado and confidence uh, than I deserved long before my act got sophisticated enough to support it. So people still gave a shit before you were able to roof a gig. Well, I don't know it what. I think that I was captivating and charismatic on stage before I was good. Gotcha. If that, you know what I mean? Absolutely. I, I was I used can, to being... And I can, from knowing that you, the small amount that I do, and having seen the small amount of your work that I have, I can well believe that. Yeah, so that was true, and I and it was, you know... It, You're I, getting, you get laughs from stuff that isn't just jokes. Yeah, exactly. Do you know exactly. mean? Your jokes are great, but you get laughs by the tone of, tone of voice, inflection... And, and occasionally prancing across the stage. Prancing does occur. <laughs> but I did tell, I did, t- I, I was told very early on in my career, uh, before it was even a career, somebody said to me, you are taking, you're ha- taking too many risks. You're having, you're not, you're having too much fun because you, you're not there yet as a comedian. And uh, it sounds like bad advice. It wasn't bad advice. Actually, for me, I was getting up and I was fucking around too much. I was like, I was relying on my confidence too much. They were like, go to the lab, hone your act and then come back. This isn't going away. Yeah. Yeah, And and I I took that advice and I started, I just wrote, 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 and I tried to get very disciplined on stage. And then I, then I did this. I sort of went the other direction when I finally felt like, okay, good. I've got jokes. I've got discipline. Now let me crack this thing open. And that's a performer. I feel like I am now. Just while we're with this idea of the persona and the person you are now, what are the key differences between uh, Moshe of 10 years ago and Moshe now in in terms of persona? Well, I would say I could say there's a very key, a very very key difference. Uh, in the beginning, I grew up in Oakland in a black public schools, uh, and I was like a wannabe kid. You know, when I was what, what do you how do you call him in England? What, how do you mean a wannabe? Like kid? a kid, that, a white kid that wants to be black. Oh yeah, okay. We don't ever really have a word for that. But you have that. Uh, you, we sort of do, but it's kind of culturally sensitive because lots of comics in the UK will do jokes about the fact that white kids talk like they're black. And actually, I think it's the case that white kids and black kids both talk like a particular perceived idea of who they should be. Right. right. You, you guys have I mean? all that weird st- class strata that we don't... Quite we're, we're not developed enough to have had. We just have... Uh, yeah, I, I would say as a... As a as a, uh, a forward-thinking British person, I would say white kids don't talk like they're black. 
um, because talking like you're black is, is a construction. I've heard this before. Now, I've heard this before, and I, I originally got... Con- uh, this is going off the rails just yeah, totally bit. fine. Let's follow but it. I, I, I remember somebody said that to me once uh, uh, about talking like you're black, and, and they said that's in and of itself a racist concept because how do black people talk? And it implies a sort of level of ignorance when you say when you're saying that. And I thought to myself, yeah, I check myself. That's I fucked up. And then I thought more about it. I thought, no, that's no, <laughs> that's wrong. Like Martin Luther King talked like he was black. He talked like he was. You could definitely tell that he was black. He was. You could also tell that he was. You know, had a divinity degree and a and was a doctor of. I mean, you could yes. tell he was a. Yes. So I I don't necessarily buy the concept that talking like you can also talk like you're Jewish. Yes. Uh, that is a thing. I don't yes. think I do it. Well, but. this is interesting. There's a, there's a line into, there's a way into some of your material here, your idea about people who seem gay. In exactly. Comments. It's exactly what we talk. We'll, we'll come, we'll come back to that. So anyway, uh, okay. So I, but I did what I, whatever thing I talked like, whatever thing I was definitely influenced by the black community that I grew up in gangster rap, hip hop. That was my sort of persona that I had affected by the time I was 17, 18 years old. Yes. Then by the time I was 17, 18 years old, I started to realize, okay, this is, I need to grow up a little bit and get in touch with who I truly am and blah, 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 blah. I went through a transformation phase and I popped out, you know, uh, through a series of warehouse parties and, uh, and you know, uh, self-reflective uh, therapy sessions. I no longer really that was no longer really – it was a part of my, my history and a part of who I was, how I grew up for sure. But I didn't affect an accent that was disingenuous, let's say. Okay. When I was growing up, literally, I would be – I would affect – I had a southern accent, an American southern accent when I was a teenager. I'm from California. Yeah, okay. If that means anything to you. Yes, it, it does. Just, I, knew, I, yeah. I had never been to the south. And it would come and go depending on who I was talking to. You okay. know what I'm saying? Like my brother, I'd be talking to him and I'd be talking like in a, sort of my more natural voice when my friends would call – and, you know, I would pick up the phone and be like, hello. Yeah, what's up? OK. All right, player. Peace. Hang up the phone. And yeah. my brother's like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So that was just a part of who I was and that I got past when I started comedy almost, almost subconsciously. I was doing this weird thing where I affected this like black tongue in cheek, but definitely like black accent, black acting thing that was almost and i realize now what it was about because i still do a little i do like to do it in my act a little bit but it was most of who i was on stage then i realized it was just a hundred percent defense mechanism yeah it was clearly a defense mechanism when i was a teenager you know maybe being a little bit intimidated by the fact that i grew up in an all-black school and i was one of the only white kids there and so we all tried to act like the dominant social group Mm -hmm. there and now that was happening again on stage so i would go up on stage and i would affect this kind of like thing that went away and that that's not that that i would say that's the primary in terms of my voice that's the primary difference you mentioned something about your appearance as well you had a, a bit of material about how you or i think it might have been a digression on the night yeah. i saw you that you used to stick your hair far higher up and have bigger glasses well when i i used to have a a, a haircut that was i would i called it the gitler yeah. The gay Hitler. Yeah. The, the gay Hitler cut. That's what I said. And I, I had a whole bit about it. Yes. And that's a that's an interesting story about comedy, too, is I would start my... That was my opener. Get yes, like I remember cut. you saying. Absolutely. So say, you, you'd contrived a ridiculous look so that you could go on and make fun of your ridiculous look. Well, no. Actually, I, it was reverse engineered. I had a ridiculous look okay. that then people re- reacted to that I then contrived. Okay. 
uh, the, and their then reaction. you found like, oh, I'd better better put my hair back like it was because that's my opener. I literally got a haircut because of that. Mm-hmm. I thought to myself, I'm not going to be 50 years old. <laughs> you know what I mean? That. I'm not going to be doing that. I yes. will not allow myself to stay stuck in this thing because it's a... it's a. I had a conversation with Todd Glass last night about how he did a... His, his first show here was in the back of a van mm-hmm. and he had to ditch it. He, he basically drove it off a cliff because he couldn't be the van guy. Exactly. He couldn't bring himself to be that guy. It's you know when I, yeah, when I did it, I, I cut my hair because I went to my hairstylist and he was like, funny story, this... Um, this girl came in, little, like kind of butch lesbian girl, and she said, "I want you to cut my hair like this comedian. Uh, his name's Moshe. It's like the Git- the Gitler or something oh like that." And God. I was like, "Change the hairstyle!" Oh my <laughs> God! Well done, good instinct at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some motion, some parallel universe Moshe's would have gone great. Perfect. I'm We're branding. Somewhere. Yes, <laughs> the minions. It's actually uh, yeah. So I had like a sort of Hitler youth haircut, which was which is a popular haircut now. But anyway, I did that, and then I had yeah, I had a look. I had an extreme look, okay. but that was later on into the. Later on into my comedy thing. Tell me about the writing. What is it? What is? What do you look like when you're writing? Are you writing in a book? Are you wandering around thinking no. about stuff? Are you on your laptop? I well, I've never kept a notebook. This is one of the things that's unusual about me compared to other comedians. I've never kept a notebook in my life. I don't have my bits backed up anywhere. I don't, they've all been in my brain. I, mean, I am the Jay Z of stand up comedy. Uh, Except as I get older, I'm starting to notice like there's a bit in my phone I, that I I, I I made a bullet point thing, yeah, and I just have a bullet point. Men are the only ones who fondle kids. Yeah, I remember that joke. It's about the dichotomy between it's this whole thing about men and women that women are 50 percent of the population, men are 50 percent of the population, but the rapists, murderers, and child molesters by and large occupy the space of the and that the women date those men and that it was this i don't remember the bit it's gone i can't get i can't get i remember it had some punchline about the space-time continuum Mm -hmm. like i don't know how i got there it was Ah. some weird thing like like i i not say and there was something in there that was like i'm not saying i am a child molester i'm saying i am infinitely more likely to be a child molester yeah. than half of the people in here just by virtue of my genitalia or something cra- anyway that bit's gone and that's frustrating and it never used to happen to me and i'm scared and maybe i have alzheimer's but um how old are you 36 yeah so you think that's right it's around your mid-30s i found around my mid-30s i started to go oh uh oh, oh, oh hang on a minute yeah oh, did i teach have any drugs yeah oh. yeah so that's disconcerting, especially because my system has always been all of the all the material was filed in my brain, and my my bits are very long, they're very dense. I, I don't do a lot of joke jokes, set up punchline jokes. Um, they're, they're, no, you're a real long subject, like your stuff about gender in the show. You right. really get your teeth into it. It's, you really savage the subject and pull it all apart, and, you know. Right, and that's... And whole, it's dense. Yeah, it's dense, and it was always just in there, and I had this ultimate... You ever read the autobiography of Malcolm X? No. Oh, you never have? No. A great book. But anyway, there's a character in there who... He's the he guy kind of writes like he's black. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> truly a construct, my friend. Um... But there's a character in there who runs the numbers in the neighborhood. He like does the yeah, okay. the, the, the sort of ghetto lottery or whatever, uh-huh. and he's like uh, he keeps all the numbers in his head. 
and yeah. you know Malcolm X as like in another universe in a parallel universe this guy would have been like a great mathematician or an engineer and in fact but in fact because of circumstance and poverty and blah 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 he ended up a criminal anyway I always thought about myself as that guy uh, <laughs> and now it's like, <laughs> it's like who, a, who would the parallel universe be if you hadn't ended up a comedian that's a good question uh, utilizing those utilizing your skills as a comedian your well I wanted to be at one point, an academic. I wanted to be a historian, a religious studies professor. And I started to realize I just didn't... What I wanted was the part where you teach, which is really just comedy, right? Yeah, right. Okay, and that's interesting. I yeah. didn't want... I had no interest in doing uh, research, academic research, yeah. and sitting in a library, pouring through Aramaic tomes, zero. Mm-hmm. So um, in another universe, what I would have used this brain for, sometimes I think I could have started a religious group. Yeah, okay. Sometimes I think I could have, I could, if I had been a little bit more of a sociopath, I could have started a cult. Yeah, L. Ron Hubbard style. Yeah. Like, just make it up, be open about the fact. I mean, we know from L. Ron, you can, uh, you can have this conversation now and you can still... Uh, you can still be having you could, it. Ten years later, you could start your own religion and go, no, no, that was... By the way, I'm a committed Scientologist. I should you let you know. Um, yep. <laughs> I have actually been to the Scientology Center in L.A. And I okay. must say, it is a delight. Everyone who visits Los Angeles should definitely go to the, uh, not the celebrity center. Oh, it's a trap. But what's crazy about it is I went there on a date once. It's like, it's so unabashedly like a cult headquarters. Like it literally is if you went to a set designer and said to him, like, I want you to design like sort of a... I almost say cliche cult headquarters. Oh my God. This is the building they would have designed. It's so crazy. That if you're weak of mind and spirit, don't don't, I don't go. But if you're a strong intellect and you feel confident who you are, <laughs> and you're feeling a little bit confused about what the next life step could be, and you don't know if there are answers, there are answers. Uh, no, but anyway, I digress. It's uh, that was a crazy experience. That is, uh, you went there on a date. I went on a date. Was we it had your suggestion. Yeah, well, we had dinner reservations at this restaurant, and we had two hours to kill. And I was like, what if we just popped in there? And you know what's fucked up? They do this thing where they go, here's uh, the normal line emotionally, and here's where you are. And you're, like, way below the normal line. But, like, it's like, hold on, motherfucker. Oh, and then, of course, it's – but don't worry. There is a solution. Yeah. Uh, guess um, what it is? It's Scientology. It. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, hold yeah. on, motherfucker. You drew the normal line. Yeah. You decided that. <laughs> Nobody, you can't just say this is normal. Who are you? Yeah. And, well, who they are is someone who's been pulling that scam a million That's times exactly and right. made a billion dollars out of it. But yeah. what was really fucked up was my date that night. She was doing, she did great. They were like, well, you're mostly pretty <laughs> no, no, good. No, 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 that's part of the scam. They make, they make sure <laughs> that one of you does great. Oh. So it's you, you're the, you're they the identify fish, the weak. she's the hook. They, they identify the, the weak. Exactly. And, oh, very good. Gotta be. That's part. Of, that's like the same reason when people you see people doing um, the three-card Monty on the sure, screen. Sure, right, the They'll buddy comes up. Hey, he won! You're about to win, bang, someone else puts a thing there. Uh, okay, yeah, I've heard of that. Um, I mean, literally. Oh, it's, totally, it's totally fine. Um, for the no, benefit no, for of- me, it's fun. I okay. need to keep commenting on it. Oh, it's important for fun. your podcast listeners to know what's happening. There is, this being the Just for Last Festival. Have you seen Kyle Kinane at this festival? Yes. He's doing a lovely little bit he was doing last night about the town needs a safe word because everything here, like there's a fire alarm and he's in the shower just scrubbing himself thinking, huh, just poor Rhea. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't believe in anything. <laughs> That's funny. Well, uh, just because people can't see what's going on for the, the slightly uh, the sort of mild banging noises have been because there's a big uh, Just for Last banner behind us that has been being very gradually evened up. I can't as if it were a giant paint. 
fainting. But let me a, just tell you, for an episode the, of Faulty Towers. for the listeners, like when I arrived, this banner was exactly <laughs> bannerish, and then they've been slightly adjusting it to absolutely no effect for one hour. That's no. why it's that's why it's so marvelous. Literally putting a ladder <laughs> an to, like an inch that. away from us, clearly in the middle of an interview. <laughs> Clang, clang, just poor rear. Hey, if you want the big armchairs, you've got to put up with the mobile That's right. <laughs> it's a classic saying. So uh, we, we were into Scientology because we were talking about the writing and what it looks like. You don't yep. make notes. You right. occasionally lose bits. But so when you're, so you don't write anything down? I never have written anything down. So you're only ever writing on stage. You have an idea for a bit, you go on, you add to it. That's right. So what are your, and this, this will be a harder question to answer, I guess, because if it all happens on stage, there's, it might be a bit less kind of uh, uh, unpackable, if that's a word. But what kind of strategies do you use to pull apart an idea? Because yeah, that I, thing of getting your, getting your teeth into it. Yeah. I find, in my early days of being a comedian, when I thought there was a way to do it, I used to think, oh, okay, oh, what they've done there is, you know, the sort of things you read in bad books about how to do it. They've done an inversion, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, oh, I don't know what that is, but or, you know, you take is that a, a thing? Is yeah, that I don't know, maybe. Or you know, sometimes you'll hear a, well, I tell you what, your joke about um, about being transgender, about yeah. being doubly transgender. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that joke, you take the concept, I, I, it's not an inversion, but you take the concept of being transgender and then you multiply it, you kind of square it. Right. So that I'm transgender, I'm a transgender Trans- woman. Transgender. Who a, thinks a, they're a transgender, or who is a transgender man. Right. R- Right. So inversion. that almost... Yeah, well, no, Do no, I, mean, I don't think... Is, I don't, a, is inversion a misdirect? Uh, no, but in the same way that a misdirect is a thing and an inversion, like saying the opposite of something, like a Bill Burbitt where he comes out and says, you know, all gay people should be killed and then argues around to it that way. I you know see, what I mean? sort then, of. Then in a similar way, what the, the trans thing isn't an inversion, but there's probably a word for what it is. I think of it as a joke where the punchline is the setup itself. I used to do a bit where I would say, uh, you ever take a bitch home from the club? You know, you'd be at the club and you see a bitch and you'd be like, hey, bitch. Hey, bitch, come home with me, bitch. Uh, no, 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 I don't talk like that. You ever be talking to a person that talks like that? And is that, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, 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 a little bit And like literally that, yeah. that, that joke was actually, uh, was literally just inspired by me being at an, at an open mic one night and a guy was saying it. It was an interesting <laughs> bit because the guy was saying those words, but he meant it. Yes. It was just, he was literally saying, you ever yes. take a bitch home from the club? And I yes. just thought, just, oh, oh, what was the punchline of that joke? You ever take a bitch home from the club? No, no. I hate when people talk like that. That's right. I hate when people talk like that. This is an old bit. They'd be like, oh, you got to come to this party. There's going to be tons of bitches there. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I hate bitches. Why are they coming to the party? <laughs> Whatever, yeah. You think that's an inversion, though, the well, first part? The-, I, I, the word inversion might be a red herring. My point is there are things, there are particular things you can do to jokes. And I think when right. I was, when, oh, to, to premises in order to get a joke. And I think I used to believe probably that there were, oh, if I can just work out the mystical nine, nine yeah, things yeah, yeah. you can do. right. You know, then totally. then that's then that's the and, formula, and of course there is no formula. But I'm just interested in like those examples that we've just discussed. What other is there? A, is there a regular way that you find yourself taking into a subject in order to get stuff out of it? You know what I almost the answer is almost no. But the closest thing I could say is that generally my comedy tends to follow the format of a real life story that becomes uh, unreal. Okay. You know what I mean? Yep. At a certain point, it becomes it becomes fake. You know, like 
does that make sense? Yes, like, absolutely. You you relate a thing as if it happened. You explore. Some it's a thing that truly it. happened, but then the story becomes abstracted to this area yes. where, like for example, that cat calling bit where I talk about like you know my brain splitting into three. I talk about this woman walking by me and her breast was outside of her shirt. And really, what happened to me? And and the 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 bit is that you know my brain split into three pieces, each of them telling me to say a different thing. You know, one of them, the more progressive side of my brain was saying wanted me to say something progressive like oh miss your nipple tucky tucky. Mm-hmm. I'm an ally or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the, whatever, the, whatever. The, and then the other, there was an animalistic part. And the, that didn't happen. You know, the woman walked by with her breasts and out. Yeah. And mostly what I just did was like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. You know what I mean? Like in my brain, it was like, wow, a, a tit, a tit. Mm. And then later I really thought about that. Yes. That experience and thought, wow, you know, there's a moment where even I want to catcall someone. Yes. You know. That's it. It's like you're an observationalist, but the observations are about your own uh, reactions to things. Kind of a thing, yes. Yes. I, I think okay. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I felt your, your set, I felt like you were really talking about stuff in a way that I found really appealing. Do you know oh, what I mean? Good. I'm like, really glad. Yeah. Well, you know. Because you, I, like I told you, I took the core of the, of the show out this time yes and it's mostly like me i really am proud of that gender stuff and i want to go further into that but you know the through line that would be at my edinburgh show i feel like isn't quite there yet you know the the connective tissue between the bits and because this is a show that i'm a different show when you're finding that in the in the lifetime of this show is there is there part of the process by which you go okay i've got that bit and I've got the gender bit, you know, and I've got a yes. bit about hats and I've got a bit about something else. Yes. When you're looking for a through line, are you thinking, how does gender relate to hats? Do you know what I mean? Are you, oh, that's or, interesting. Or is there, what, what is it when you find a thing? Well, well, generally what happens is I go on stage, uh, I, you know, I tour a lot and I will just find, I'll find the spacing. Not only will I write the bits, but I'll write the set on stage too. I'll find the spacing. Oh, this goes here. Like I'll give, like this should go here like right now it's not fully where i know it's supposed to be but there's an area where it all becomes thematic when i can go oh i'm in love for the first time so then i should put this stuff here about my like i can somehow wield that into my childhood why why it took me such a long time to find to fall in love into the feminism of the household i was raised in into the my stuff about feminism i know that there's a place for me to do that but i have a a strength that is a weakness, which is I'm very skilled. I know this about myself at creating false connections between bits. That is an incredible observation about your own practice. Yeah, yeah. On stage, I can. I mean, yeah. in the moment, I can do that. Absolutely, I can, I can do a thing. I see people doing that. Yeah. It's so great to hear someone go, "Yep, I'm good at doing." That. No, no, I'm. Th- that's a thing I can do. I can make, and I'm also. This is something I'm actually proud of. I think isn't a weakness. I can do it off of crowd work a lot. I yeah. can. I can make a person think that I'm riffing a bit because I will do crowd work until I find a jumping off point that will lead into a bit that I go, oh, that, you know, and then everybody's just like, oh, the wizard is at work. But it's like, no, I was just <laughs> looking for an escape hatch from this conversation. Yes. But uh, yeah, no, I can do that. I can make any bit go together with a little bit of bullshit. So do you have to really be strict with yourself and go, okay, that bit works, but it's bullshit and I've got to be better than that? Well, what I, well, I'm not even talking about bits, actually. I'm talking about like literally making connections from... St- structuring. I mean, structuring, in, in the structuring. Exactly. Right now, and sometimes it is bullshit. Sometimes I can find myself like, okay, you're fucking pushing it. You know, you're trying to sound like a philosopher right now. Yeah. Really what you're doing is like just like kind of 
going through your file. I just really think, you know, I think a lot about that. You know, I think a lot yeah. about the, uh, and I'm like going through the file. I think a lot about the uh, uh, hats. I think a lot about hats. They cover, they cover one's head and people are so cold. You know, it's just like, so sometimes I feel like I push cold it like too my far. mother. Yeah. Oh, Maybe you yeah. would notice it because you it seem like you I've deconstruct comedy a lot. Brain, yeah. But I don't care about honesty. I don't think I've never thought it was important. I mean, it's important in the world, but on stage, like people go, like, "Oh, but is that true? Is that true to you?" It's just like, as long as I can stand behind the bit comedically, and it's as long as it's not like abjectly racist or homophobic or sexist. Like, I actually don't care if it's like genuine and honest. I'm trying. There was an example that I get. I had a joke that was a perfect example of this. That was just something that I didn't really believe. Ah, oh, but I'm I'm not able to I'm not able to pull it because I'm getting older and it's in one of the bullet points. But just like I think, really funny, f- funny first. Like I really, really believe that. Like I'm on. I, I remember Patrice O'Neill was on the. Um, Patrice is a great example. Mm. Patrice, uh, do you know his work? I came to it very late. I've loved. I've got two albums of his, and I absolutely love them. Love them, but you know, if we're being honest with each other, his his subject matter was vile. I mean, it was horrifying, crude and awful. And I didn't, I don't stand behind anything he said, but his rhetorical sort of power as a yep. comedian was such that you kind of went like, fuck, okay, you yep. can do this. Yeah, I think, I think with Patrice, he had real vulnerability in the awful things that he was saying. His stuff, when he was kind of, he was struggling to say, look, Look, relationships are hard. It's hard for me to love you, to be faithful to you. All that kind of, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I do have a, I've got an example of a dishonest bit that it doesn't matter. It's not from my act. I know there's one in my act, but I'm not able to pull it. But I can give you an example. Kamel Nanjiani, a friend of mine. Do you know him? I do know him. Very, very funny. He's amazing. And he's got this bit about uh, Ethiopians in, um, in, this song, do they know it's? Do they even know it's Christmas? Yes. Do you remember that song? Yes. And he's like, it's a great bit. It goes, do you, oh, I'm sure they're singing something to the effect of, do they know we're Muslim? Yeah, you know? right. Yeah, okay. But they're not Muslim. No, they're Ethiopian. They're Christians. Yeah. And it's a, you know, it gets a huge laugh. It gets a huge laugh because and it's think- satisfying. The, the truth of it, which is that. Uh, the white Western world is patronizing. Yeah, exactly. That is true. Yeah, that resonates. is the truth. And yeah. it's like, uh, who cares? That's what I think. Like, who cares if they're Muslim? It, this is a, it's an effective bit. It's great. I mean, I, who <laughs> gives a, a shit? Great example. Like, who cares? I don't care. I, yeah. I mean, maybe they care. And maybe somebody will write a strongly worded blog one day. In fact, they are not Muslim yeah, yeah, from yeah. your special four years ago, Kamel, or whatever. <laughs> you know, but um, I, that's what I think. I think funny first, as long as you can stand behind your own bit, Funny first, and then and you've got a really good put down worked up, a very specific put down for when someone stands up and heckles you regarding right. the truth of that. Yes, exactly. I fucking wish I could come up with. I know that there's one in my own act that I realize is like just not the truth, <laughs> and I just don't think it matters. Can I just ask you quickly about Zoolander? Can I ask you about yeah. doing punch up on movies? Oh, Tell sure. me about that. Uh, it's super fun. I mean, that's the thing that I also I think probably my Riffingtons uh, yeah. definitely helps. Okay, uh, so you can do that when you're sat down writing, or do, or are you doing punch up from the perspective of they give you a script and then you walk around doing your regular. Well, there's wandering. different elements here, and this is what I would say. I actually think this is a nice button to our conversation because with the people looking askance at at crowd work, um, is I would say 
50 to 75% of my skill as a punch-up writer, and I think I'm pretty good at it, comes from the fact that I've got a brain that is conditioned to quickly reacting to stuff that's being said or being done. And when an actor makes a choice, so what I, the, 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 the system at, on this particular movie, I've done a lot of punch-up on a lot of different stuff, but the system on this movie was uh, in the morning I would write, I would take the scripts, the pages that they were going to shoot that day, and I would write alt lines for the, for the day. And I think that's pretty typical, right? You'd uh, write alternate lines like next to the lines in the script so yeah. the actors could try saying them instead. Now I'd give it to Ben Stiller who was directing and he would you know, tick off the ones he liked, scratch off the ones he didn't. Well, that's one thing you have to know as a punch-up writer is you, you can't get attached to these jokes. You yeah. can't get your feelings hurt because that's not the job. The yeah. job isn't to always score. The job is to is volume enough that you eventually raise yeah. the project up and so yeah, because he, in the, you're almost being the the super brain of the comic who's on stage flicking through the rolodex well, you're providing yeah. the rolodex to someone else a rolodex that's the yeah. other thing i think about is like uh ben stiller is very funny mm-hmm. obviously right he's a very funny comedic writer we know that the one thing ben stiller can't do that i can do is he can't not be ben stiller he can yeah. only be ben stiller all the time so i i'm a different brain so if you're good at punch up, the main thing you you are is if you're already if you're good is you're not the person who you're punching up for. So you have a there's no way a human mind can see a script from every dimension. Yes. So I would I would never have a script that I didn't have a punch up guy on if I had the power and the money to hire someone. Why would I not have another yeah. person there? It would only be ego that would keep me from doing that. So anyway, so I would write the lines in the morning and I would send them in and he would tell me the ones he liked, tell me the ones he didn't. But then the rest of the day was spent watching the takes and me running in and saying, when an idea occurred to me, what if this happened? What if this happened? What if they said this? Oh, I've got an idea. Say this. And often it would be... And you get to do that from watching the tapes. From watching from the tapes. From seeing it happen. That's exactly. Great. And, an, and an, actor, an actor <laughs> might go, might do something that was unexpected. He might say, he might riff his own line that was unexpected and I would run in and say, okay... Also, there's no way to come up with every joke by reading it. Sometimes you have to see it for yeah. your brain to. So without crowd work, I really think, you know, why would I? I would be like, well, it's about material. I already did my material this morning. Oh, we're done with material. Yeah. I'm a guy that writes jokes, not a guy that riffs them. Sure. So that movie wouldn't have had a bunch of the great jokes that are in there, I believe. So that's something. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Final question. Yes, sir. Um, what would you have written on your comedy gravestone? Um, huh. thick dicked. <laughs> that's all I care about. That's what I want the history to remember me as a thick dick Jew that cared enough, but not too much. Thanks, Moshe. Thank you. We just shook hands. So that was Moshe. Thanks to him for coming on the show. Thank you to Nathan Wood for co-editing and Olivia Phipps, as ever, for all her podblin gremlin work behind the scenes. Uh, you can check out Moshe's podcast, The Champs, uh, on iTunes or indeed anywhere online. I'm sure you can Google it up uh, and look at his own stuff on Netflix. Very, very funny indeed. Remember, and I keep forgetting to say this during the main bit of the episode, but you can come and see An Hour, which is this year's uh, Edinburgh show, my own solo show. It's on at 1655 at the Cannons Gate every day apart from the 18th. Uh, and it's going to be great fun. I can't wait to get up there. I've got one preview left uh, on, in the UK on Tuesday, and uh, that's in Islington, but I don't have the details in front of me. And I think by the time you get this, it will already have happened. But one left uh, and a load of shows to go. Can't wait to get up there. I'm really, I think I'm looking forward to Edinburgh more than I have done. And I was looking forward to it last year. It's just getting better and better. I think I'm, uh, I think I'm just freaking out a bit less. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? 
I promise to freak out still a little bit enough that I'm a decent interviewer and can empathise with other people's freakouts. But I think I'm freaking out less. Really excited about this show. It's called An Hour, 16.55 at the Cannonsgate Daily, and it's completely free, so turn up early, because let's assume it's going to be hugely successful and be rammed every day. Let's just assume that. If you'd like to come and see the podcast live, they're underneath Black Medicine at the corner of Drummond Street and Nicholson Street every night at the Edinburgh Festival from the middle onwards. And uh, I've got people like John Lloyd, Tommy Tiernan, uh, Ronnie Cheng is going to be on the show, Joel Domit, Daniel Sloss, uh, Jason Byrne, and there's a couple of other biggies I'm, I'm chasing as well. Um, so come and check that out. That's free as well, and you get the chance to donate, and hopefully by that point buy some sweet merch when you see me in Edinburgh. If you see me at a gig or a preview and you want to press some money into my hand and say something cool, that's fine too. Speak to you soon. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.